A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 26 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, the return of Dr. Chris Meyer. What I think about before I walk into the negotiation is at least as powerful as what I do while I'm in the negotiation. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. Today, part four with Dr. Chris Meyer. He's a business professor at Baylor University. A lot of Chris's research focuses on negotiation. We talk about negotiation in politics, sports. Man, LeBron James is a great negotiator. And negotiation under stress. When I'm put under stress, I lose the ability to communicate my interests. I lose the ability to care about your interest. And I get focused only on position. Again, this is Dr. Meyer's fourth time on the show. So check out episodes 1, 8, and 19 for more background. And now, our talk with Chris. You know, right now, as we're recording this podcast, there's a lot going on in the world. And one of the things is there's been recent shootings in Dallas of police officers um, because of protests or, or demonstrations, peaceful demonstrations of Black Lives Matter. And there's a lot of turmoil going on right now. And I think, I personally think, at the end of the day, everybody wants the same things. But for some reason, we're polar opposites. And then we're also in an election year. So you have the fuel to this fire with politicians and the people on both sides. And it seems like, from the, an outsider perspective, everybody wants the same things. But yet, we become so emotional about getting what we want that we're illogical when it comes to seeing the other side. How do you stop that? How do you get back to some type of middle ground? Because it seems like the extremists win and the rational people in the middle just sit there quiet, waiting for some of these irrational extremists to come to their senses. This is, I think, a really difficult issue, and it's difficult on a number of levels. First of all, and I was thinking about this, my wife and I have been having these discussions. I can have the safe discussion at home with her, right? But now now we brought it up on the podcast, so I'll talk about it. Because I think it's really an, an important thing. And it is. It, you, can, you can parallel this with business negotiations as well. And I know that I'm paid to parallel everything with business negotiations, so I'm going to. Um <laughs> When you don't take the perspective of the other side, when you don't have empathy for the other side, that's when some of these tactics make sense to you. I'm going to give a a business parallel here. You can use those cutthroat tactics if you don't take the perspective of the other side. You can go into a negotiation with your subordinate and say, this is how it's going to be. This is what it is. If you don't like it, then move on and be cutthroat as a negotiator. But if you take the perspective of the other side and you think, 
wow, this person's trying really hard and they've had a lot of turmoil at home and there's a lot of other issues at play here. Let me think about how can I support better in the office? How can I, you know, how can I think about what they're going through and then apply that and then come up with a plan that works for both of us? But is there any recognition for that hardcore, you know, cutthroat type of, you know, my way or the highway leadership style? Do they progress quicker and faster to the top of the food chain than the person who's willing to show empathy and, and let things slide and so on and so forth. Is there a constant back and forth between that? They, they may progress sometimes, but most of the time it's short term. So if you look at long term, the people that take the collaborative mindset, they do better. And we have research that shows that if I go into a negotiation and I go in with a collaborative mindset, and this is some really powerful nego- some really powerful uh, research that's been done. If I go into it with a very collaborative mindset, even if I do use some cutthroat tactics once in a while, as long as I'm motivated collaboratively, I tend to do better and I tend to benefit the other side more. But if I go into it with a competitive mindset, like I'm the boss and this is how it's going to be and we're going to get it done my way, even if I use a collaborative behavior in the negotiation, you know, tell me about your life, tell me about your kids, how are things going? If I go in with that competitive motivation, I tend to do worse and there tends to be a worse joint outcome. So that ma- that means that motivation matters. What what I think about before I walk into the negotiation is at least as powerful as what I do while I'm in the negotiation. That's interesting. So, with that being said, should I prepare myself before I go into a negotiation. So for example, if I know I have an employee who's underperforming and I need them to pick up their production and be more of a team player and all those good things, even if my mindset is I'm going to go into it collaboratively, am I better to sit down and prepare my, here's what I'm willing to give up, but here's what I'm not willing to give up. Here's what I need for you to do without any question. Here's some of the stuff that I'm willing to negotiate over if these things are met. Absolutely. I advocate always going in and working through multiple scenarios ahead of time. And I think that this goes back to the shooter in Dallas and and all these problems that we've been having in our country about these um, protests and, and, you know, discord in uh, different communities. If we go in and think through multiple scenarios ahead of time, if we go in and think with this employee, maybe they could Maybe they could get belligerent and really push back and maybe they could start to cry and really break down or maybe they could give me some reasoning behind it. Work through those scenarios. If they become belligerent, then what will I do? If they start to, if they break down, then what will I do? And think through that and really have a good plan about where you're going to go and how you're going to get there and do your research ahead of time. Sit down with peers and people on the team. You've been working with Chip for a while and it appears that he's having some trouble. Is there anything that you can share with me? And I'm not asking you to break any confidence, but what can you tell me about the work? What can you tell me about what's going on? You know, I want to do what I can to make sure that we're bringing everybody along at the same speed to make sure that people have the ability to excel, but it appears that he's falling behind. What can we do? Is there anything that you know? When 
asked about what the most important step in negotiation is, I always focus on the preparation. I think most of the negotiation happens before you sit across from the person that you're negotiating with. And so should you go into it, in a sense, in your back pocket, you know, these are the things that I'm willing to give concessions on, but I'm not going to pull them out and use them right from the very beginning. I'm going to hold on to them. Or are you better off to go in and say, you know, I've been putting a lot of thought into this here's what I need you to do, and here's some things that I'm willing to give as concessions if you'll agree to do these things. Are you put your hand out there first and lay it out there from the get-go, or do you hold off and use it as you kind of progress through the conversation? Right. I, I think that we were talking about reciprocity earlier. It's always better to be the first one to move. So if you if you go into the negotiation and you have good ideas about what you can give, where you can give them, and you're willing to put that out there first, that's great. That doesn't mean walk in and immediately start giving concessions. You need to have some discussion first, and you need to talk about what you really want out of the negotiation and what the other party really wants out of the negotiation. That's that's the, the skill that I think that people that use negotiation for leadership, people that really apply this, they go in and they have that discussion before anything happens before I ask for anything, before I give anything, I want to know what do you really want here? And I want to tell you, what do I really want here? And then how can we find some synergies and how can we take that and move it forward? Mm-hmm. And before any, before any talk about positions, before any talk about offers or concessions or what do you want or what do I want before that, let's talk about the interest and really understand why we're here working together. Do you have any examples that maybe anybody would recognize as someone who is just, my goodness, one of the most skilled examples of a negotiator that's out there and maybe something that would represent what you would consider to be good? Now, while you're thinking about that, I'll give you an example of one that I think might be the opposite. You know, when you think about the political race that we're in right now and not to talk about politics, but we have different types of people out in front of the crowds that are getting them worked up and running for office. And they're trying to come from very much an authoritative, I know what the problems are, and if you elect me, I will fix these problems. I will get rid of evil. I will, you know, bring winning back to what we've been losing on or so on and so forth. And then there's others that we'll talk about. I can reach across party lines and bring the people over. I know how to negotiate win-win outcomes. And, you know, I'm, I'm the party of the people. I know what's going on. You know, I'm closer to it, so on and so forth. And, and so you, you get to a point as someone who's listening, you don't know what to believe. You get almost disgusted at the constant back and forth. And now it's a, a choice of, picking the lesser of two evils versus I'm really excited about someone. I think the the political realm is just, it's riddled with individuals that are really poor negotiators and, and they stand up there and they will give to every different constituency without articulating what they're really trying to accomplish. And the only thing that you can discern they're trying to accomplish is win an election. And then they'll, they'll make statements that are so ambiguous that everyone can find, oh, they must be talking to me, you know, make America great. And I'm not picking on one party or the other, but make America great again. Um, we don't know what that stands for. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's, that's the trap that we fall into as negotiators. So 
I I hate to bring this up, but it's it's a really good thing. The nice thing about sports is a lot of the numbers are out there and a lot of the things that you see are out there. And, you know, so this might be even more um, inflammatory than the political talk. But, man, LeBron James is a great negotiator. <laughs> I, I don't know if you follow how he structures his contracts. I, I do. It's It's amazing. And I don't have a lot of detail. But what he does is he's got this contract with Cleveland right now that in a year he can become a free agent again or he can re-sign with them. It's a player option and it's great. And it works out really well for LeBron because if he decides at some point he wants to go, he can and it doesn't really hurt him. And it works out really great for Cleveland because they have LeBron James on their basketball team right now, which is really powerful. And I think and I don't know this for a fact because Dan Gilbert won't invite me to the meetings. Um, Dan Gilbert, <laughs> owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. But they they sit down and they work this out. And I truly believe that he has structured the contract to benefit the Cavaliers as much as the Cavaliers have structured the contract to benefit LeBron James. And it's, it's amazing to watch. You see these people that win in sports. Um, Tim Duncan just retired. And Tim Duncan was an incredible power forward and played for a small market team. He was never flashy and he always structured his contract so that young people on the team, young rising stars would get paid so that they want to come. Mm -hmm. They want to come and play with him. They want to come to San Antonio, a small market team instead of LA, instead of Miami, instead of Boston. Um, they're coming to San Antonio so that they can play so that they can win and it's that that collaborative mindset that people like LeBron James and Tim Duncan have where they will they will put their own interests their their own desires they they both wanted to win mm-hmm. and they wanted to win championships that that was that was the goal they will put that out there and say this is what i want and now how can we structure the contract that way yeah yeah and i i I like the parallel because in a sports analogy, if I'm LeBron James or Tim Duncan or Dirk Nowinski, who is going to end his career with Dallas and some of the others, you know, they'll put out there, I'm willing to take less because I want you to come here. And here's what I expect of you to help us win a championship where if you tie it back to a politician, a politician will say, here's what I'm willing to do. But rarely, if ever, do we hear them say, but as American public, if you want me to hold up my end of the bargain, what I'm promising to do, which is make America great for an example, or whatever it might be, here's what I need you to do. As the, as the voters, I need you to stop doing X, Y, or Z so that I can do X, Y, or Z so that together we can all get what we want, which is a better America. We only hear one side, yeah. which is... So instead of campaign promises, maybe we should have campaign contracts, <laughs> campaign negotiations. <laughs> I, I think it would be a very different. I think it would be a very different process if you had to sit down with people that were important to the running of the country and work it out. This is how we're going to work together. Imagine if if both uh, Trump and Clinton had to sit down with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and say, "This is how we think we're going to run the military." And then the Joint Chiefs could get up and tell us, the American public, well, this is what Hillary said, and this, what, this is what Donald said. And, and then we could have some discussion, some, some transparency in the whole process, because we, we don't do that 
we lose a lot of that. And all we hear is one side and we only hear. So when we're in our negotiations, when we're in these interactions, if we're doing the same thing that politicians do, just saying, I can deliver that. I can do that for you. Absolutely. I can hit that date. If we're doing that and we're not having the transparent discussion about this is why it's important for me to hit your date. If we don't talk through the consequence, then we're just like the politicians and we're not getting done what we need to get done in that interaction. And that's when trust gets eroded. So Mm. back to the trust thing, I'm going to grant you the trust because we're sitting here, we're talking, and I think that we can get this done together. But if you start eroding that by not being transparent, by not giving me the other side of the story, then I'm really going to lose that trust quickly. Mm. And to piggyback on that, which ties us back to what we always talk about, and that is while the three of us are sitting here and we're calm and we're rational and so on and so forth, we can logically negotiate out something that if I do X and you do Y, together we both win. When you introduce stress, when you introduce emotion, when you introduce something I care about and you don't, and the emotion rises with it, it implodes negotiations at times. That's where it starts off great. You know, and then something said, a trigger sets it off, and then one party storms out of the room, and and it's all done. So how big of a piece is the um, ability to control your emotion in negotiation compared to the logic side of it? Yeah, it's very, very important. And what we know about stress is that's exactly what it does. When I'm put under stress, I lose the ability to communicate my interests. I lose the ability to care about your interest and I get focused only on position. So if we walk in and I say, Hey, I want that 10% raise. And the reason that I want the 10% raise is because I want to be the top salesperson in the company. I want to be recognized. You know, I want to, I want it to be known that I did the best job this, this year. There's a number of ways we can get that done, right? You, you could give me a gold watch. You could give me a trip to Hawaii, or you could give me the big raise. A number of different ways. But if we walk in and we get put under stress and then I start to think about, well, you know, I don't know, Chris, maybe maybe we need to reevaluate your employment here because the boss is under stress from somebody else that puts me under stress. And then the whole thing can explode. And instead of you've got a great review and you've got a great future and you've got a great raise coming to you instead that we walk out and we're both angry and, and we're both positional and I'm not going to work here if I don't get my 10% raise and it can really fall apart quickly. So we really have to be aware and there's not a lot that you can do when you're put under that stress. You need to train for it. In my classes, in my training sessions, I often give people about half as much time as they need to do a negotiation simulation because I can't fire anyone and I can't demote anyone. Um, but I can put them under a huge amount of time stress. So here's a, here's a case that's going to take an hour for you to get done. Do it in 30 minutes. Um, that's really difficult to do. And if you train yourself to focus on the important aspects of the case and just dismiss all of the noise, you can get through it. And the same thing happens when you're sitting in front of people. So if you train yourself to do that, to work through the process, dismiss the noise, focus on what's important. Sometimes dismissing the noise means there are some things that are minorly important to me. I'm not going to worry about them as much. Um, I'm going to focus on the main reason that I'm here. 
that's okay to do that. It's, it's a difficult skill to learn, but the, uh, the thing that I always tell people is negotiators, you make negotiators. They're, they're not born. Um, if somebody comes into a negotiation and they are a born negotiator, what they are is a lucky negotiator. Um, you need to train to be able to do this well. And the way that you train is by doing it over and over in a very positive way. It's practice. So back to the sports analogy, if you want to be the best shooter, you practice and you practice and you practice and you put yourself under stress and you practice and you have people stand there with brooms up and you practice the same thing with the negotiation, practice under stress, put yourself in that situation. And one of the best ways that you can do that is find the best negotiator in your company, find the toughest negotiator in your company, put them across the table from you sit down and role play and say, we're going to do this negotiation. I have to go out and negotiate with our best supplier. Here's all the information I have about them. Make decisions like they would show me no mercy. And I'm going to negotiate this side. Hmm. Again, for more with Dr. Meyer, check out episodes one, eight and 19. We'll have more with Chris in future episodes. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.